Hello everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today I'm going to be reviewing a book which I borrowed quite a while ago from my friend Xander and need to return so it's taken me a long time to get around to reading it again. I did originally borrow this and read this a while ago so I basically just skimmed it in order to get some information, refresh my memory on what's in the book just to talk to you a little bit about it. Now this book is by Raven Caldera and Tannin Schwartzstein um or steen not sure and i'm not going to be commenting on anything to do with the authors i'm not sure if there's anything about tan that is controversial there's quite a lot of controversy out there about raven caldera and in sifting through i couldn't really work out if any of it was true if it was being made up and was malicious for various reasons uh, because the only sources i could really find were like reddit pages and forums and not you know any real concrete talk about it um but just uh, take this with a bit of a pinch of salt and before going on to read any more of raven caldera's books or booking services um like courses and stuff from them or whatever it is they're doing for their website um i would read up and inform yourself and make your own decisions because this is going to be an episode based entirely on the book the urban primitive and not um, about the authors themselves so the book is called the urban primitive and it is essentially about how to practice paganism if you live in a city the byline on it is paganism in the concrete jungle now i'm quite lucky because um my family live in the countryside and I live with them now and obviously grew up here uh, for a short period of about sort of five years. I did live in the city um, because firstly to do with university and then I had a job in the area. I lived in the city. I have to say, didn't care for it. Uh, I moved back because the city to me felt hostile. It didn't feel like a very uh, welcoming place. It made me very anxious and I felt quite lonely there. So I don't have a lot of good memories of living in the city. However, reading this book again did kind of help me to make peace a little bit with what cities are like and the pluses and minuses of living in one and also made me think about how even though i live in the country the countryside i live in is definitely not the countryside that ancestral pagans would have lived in like all those people who were around decades and decades and decades ago with all their small rituals and different practices which aren't really modern paganism but things that we do that are loosely based on those like the wheel of the year don't necessarily relate to the fact that although i live in a village it is 10 minutes drive from a big town their experiences would have been very different and so this is my very long-winded way of saying that even if you don't live in a big city i think this book could still have meaning for you and be interesting to read so it's divided up into 19 different sections and they are dealing with various different topics. Basically an introduction to the city and what it's like, um, some information about basic uh, practices in Wicca. I think that's mostly what it's talking about is it talks about paganism, but a lot of the stuff is what I would identify as Wicca. But it talks about spell casting, working with energy, uh, creating personal defences, cleansing. It talks about different deities of the urban environment, which I'll get into later. It talks about how to make different spells and things for protecting yourself during travel, uh, how the elements work and their associations with modern technology in the city. 
about the underworld, about death in the city and ghosts and about um, the plants that are available to you in a city and other resources in a city that you can use to make magic. Some of those things I find very interesting and very relevant. Others of those things I thought were very strange and I didn't get any benefit from them whatsoever. My friend Vanda conversely likes other sections that I don't. So um, I think it really depends on what you're looking for and what kind of person you are. So uh, I'll get into a little bit about that in a second. So a big plus for me with this book is that it is quite uh, approachable. The language is very accessible. It is written in a very uh, talkative kind of way. Not necessarily what I would describe as a friendly tone, but in a tone of someone who is more of an equal to you than just, you know, a, a teacher passing down ancient wisdom. They know more than you, but they're just trying to educate you and teach you in kind of a, a fun colloquial way and not in a way that overcomplicates things for just for the sake of it. For example, one of the chapters is called The Straight Poop on Spellcasting, which I found quite funny. Um, and it breaks things down into easy, manageable concepts. For example, this from The Straight Poop on Spellcasting chapter on page 11, it says... Magic can be divided into two basic categories. No, not black or white. The first kind is magic you do yourself using your own juice. The jury's out as to whether that energy comes from you, from the universe through you, or whether these are just the same things anyway. It doesn't matter because you won't need to know that in order to do it. Most of the spell workings in this book are basic personal energy magic. Doing this, com doing this competently is a technique that can be learned. The other kind of magic is done by asking for help. This includes invoking elementals or deities and asking them for their aid. This second kind of magic should not be used unless you've already tried the first kind, which in turn should not be used unless non-magical means have failed. Don't bribe the spirits to do your homework or shopping, and don't bother Athena with your petty little problems unless you're sure you can't handle it yourself. So I quite like that. It's kind of down to earth. It's a little bit different to a lot of other Wicca 101 books, which suddenly have you throwing magic in all areas of your life, whether it's love, career, family, just chucking magic at it because you can, because you have all these different kinds of spells. I also like the difference it draws between like personal power and the power of the deities. Um, that very much aligned with my own personal views. So I really identified with that. I like that it says like the jury's out on these other things because that kind of allows you a little bit of space to have your own opinions. Although I will say that quite a lot of the book is a little bit um, absolute in the fact that it says these things are real. And I don't necessarily think that everyone is going to believe in those, uh, specifically the uh, the deities for um, the city. You know, not everyone is going to believe in the deities that were ostensibly made up for this book, uh, which I'll get into in a moment. Some of the ideas I really liked that were presented in this book are to do with making Wiccan tools, Wiccan items or spells out of things that you would find naturally in the city or maybe have more access to than you would to the fancier items that are more specialist. So on page 25, there's a section on portable altars. Now, the reason given for this is that you need to take them around the city to do magic at other people's homes. Again, I don't really know what circumstances you would be doing that in but I kind of like it because if you live in the city odds are you're probably moving around quite a lot um, different apartments if you move if you're a student you move out if you go home to visit family for a really long time then you would maybe need to take an altar with you 
And it gives ideas like using a shot glass for a chalice, using a small piece of stick or copper pipe as a wand, having small amounts of incense in like film canisters so that you can take those places with you, uh, coins for money spells, a piece of chalk for drawing signs and things. Very small, inexpensive ideas uh, for ways to make your practice a little bit more mobile if you needed to move around a lot, which is quite cool. Chapter three on defences is probably one of my favourite chapters, aside from the cleansing chapter, because it does teach you how to sort of protect your space if you live in a city. One of the things that when I first read this book, when I was living in town, it really helped me to set my flat up and protect it with various charms and things. And it made it feel like a, a safer space, a more private space, even though obviously I still shared all of my walls, ceiling and floor, with a business and another flat. It does generally just sort of increase your sense of well-being. And some of the ideas presented in the book, like on page 31, for example, are not necessarily the most practical. Like it talks about painting symbols on outside stairs, sprinkling uh, powders made of spices and salt around the building. And, you know, in a busy urban environment, you might feel not comfortable going outside and doing that but it also gives ideas for charms that you can make and hang up inside your home which is a slightly more private way of working that kind of magic and it basically just is a case of pick one of these many methods which you feel comfortable with and then get on with it then chapter four gives ideas about cleansing your space and yourself of all the sort of psychic gunk which you attract living in a city you're around a lot more people you're probably a lot more stressed uh, again, uh, this is quite a useful chapter that I quite like. There's a really good section called Stealth Cleansing uh, via Repelling Negative Energy. And it gives options of how to do cleansing like when you're at work and you can't obviously break out all your tools and start smoking out the office with sage. And one of them is a nice idea. It's a tea smudge. And it says make a strong cup of herbal tea. You can actually do this with herbs like sage, cinnamon, ginger or mint and walk around your space with it. So, you know, you get up, go to the communal kitchen, you make your tea, you walk back to your desk and the steam follows you around and just cleanses your environment. I really like that idea. And it's, again, so easy. And you could obviously combine it and use a sort of herb that is relaxing as well as cleansing. Now, up until this point, I felt like most of the exercises were common sense um, about energy channeling, about how to make the use of items you would find in the city, about how to cross spells effectively and about how to kind of stealth cleanse and protect yourself in multiple circumstances, all of which I thought was quite useful. Chapter five is where I came a little bit unstuck because it's called Reliquaries, Ancient Gods in a Modern World. And it makes the good point that we think of like these ancient deities as being part of a rural time when a lot of things like especially like ancient Greece and Rome the gods and goddesses had their seats and their biggest temples in the cities and in urban environments um, so I, I agreed with that and that made a lot of sense to me but what I didn't really care for was their translation of ancient gods and goddesses into modern settings uh, so for example on page 49 it says Apollo, as god of music, can also be probated in record stores or even by playing music in your own home. However, the serene and conservative Apollo is not much interested in rock or rap or hip-hop. Put on some classical music or he'll frown. He's most often given offerings for the gift of a clear intellect and studying ability. 
So that makes sense, I guess, as a sort of modern setting in which to set Apollo. And that's an example of quite a lot of what it says about these different deities and where you can find them. But what I took issue with, uh, just on a safety perspective, was chapter uh, was page 50 and 51, when it talks about uh, goddesses and gods of love. So it says Aphrodite, Ocean, Ishtar and any of the love goddesses have rulership over such obvious places as dating services and singles bars. But the best place to leave an offering to them is some place that is known as the local lover's lane. If you lay money that people go there to make out, that's a sacred place. Another even better thing is to go to a strip bar. The girls working there may not know it, but they are the heiresses of the sacred harlots of ancient times, whose dance of the hours, the horror, came to us as the word whore. Give them money and do it in such a way as to seem respectful and worshipful. Refer to a dancer who approaches you as lady or goddess and pay her and ask nothing of her and leave. In such a way does magic transform the world. The other inheritors of the love goddess's sacred tradition are ladies of the evening. Since giving them money might seem might be seen as suspect by possible police onlookers. The best thing to do is to give them other gifts and offerings, such as food or small bottles of wine, in their place as the goddess's unwitting servants. You can keep the contact brief if you like and explain your behaviour or not as you choose. But the important thing is that you ask nothing of them for your gift. The love goddess will see and approve, and she's who you're asking the things of at any rate. So I, I had a number of issues with this and some of these were echoed in reviews and things on Goodreads that I read in preparation for this episode. So number one, it might not be safe for you to be out late at night approaching uh, people who are prostitutes, um, not just because of danger from the prostitutes themselves, but from just generally other people who might be around, uh, men, punters, for instance, there might be drugs involved. It's not just generally a safe situation to be encouraging people to insert themselves into um number two i think it's kind of offensive to just randomly find hookers and go up to them and give them bottles of wine um one you don't know if they have like substance abuse problems or alcoholism two they might think that you're just creepy and weird i mean if people are out there doing sex work that's their business but i don't think they need strangers coming up to them and trying to involve them in their religious practices by giving them things it's just as weird as you know if people were to go out and approach them and try and give them christian things like leaflets about their lives and sins and stuff you know they may not see themselves as working for a goddess it's pretty not for you to put that label on them three i don't think that the selling of sex or sex work however you may view that has anything to do with love those things are completely separate and if you're looking for associations with sex then irrespective of all the other criticisms of this then yes okay prostitutes strip clubs that seems like something to do with sex but not necessarily to do with love so again I don't really see the associations there again if you go into a strip club and you're calling people lady and goddess they're going to think you're a real creep um it's just it, no don't do that but that again doesn't really work for me i think places that are to do with love um would be the aforementioned singles bars although you don't really get that many around anymore dating hotspots you know places where a lot of people go on dates like the cinema the steps of a church or courthouse if you're uncomfortable going to a church where weddings routinely occur there's a place in bristol where i used to live uh, by the courthouse where every time you walk by at the weekend there'd just be confetti all over the steps because they just had a wedding there 
that's a good place that you could work love magic. Um, most places nowadays have bridges with padlocks on them that people put there as like a love thing. I think it started on a bridge in France, but they do it all over now. So many different bridges, even ones in Bristol have these padlocks on. So that could be a good place to work love magic. Safer places to go to do with sex, I would say a sex shop or like your local Ann Summers. Um, if you go around town centres in sort of the evening when there aren't that many people about, you could probably discreetly leave something near that building. And the sort of local lovers lane thing, I don't know how you would identify that because I don't think that's something that we really have anymore um, because people don't tend to like go and, and hide. Um, they just kind of go around each other's houses and do it. Um, but you could potentially do that if you felt it was safe to do so. Uh, but yeah, I just generally wasn't wowed by this section because it came off as kind of risky to the practitioner and also disrespectful to the sex workers involved because they might be freaked out or creeped out by the activities of the, the pagan in question. So kind of a loss on both sides. Now, I was kind of put off a little bit by that section, but then chapter six was a chapter that just generally wasn't for me and it's, it's called modernism the urban triple deities and it's about the, obviously the triple goddess triple god the faces of them in terms of the urban environment these new goddesses and gods now i'm kind of split on this one because i know my friend vanda read this section and does take these deities to be uh, entities that exist or entities that they have previously called on i don't know if they're like current on their belief in them. I particularly don't. I don't see anything wrong with inventing goddesses and gods because they are all previously invented. They were invented to begin with. Goddesses like Hera, Hecate and deities like Thor, they were all invented by previous civilizations. Humans invented them as a face to put on the divine that they could communicate with, talk to and that specialised in different things. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. More of my problem comes from the fact that I don't particularly like the ones that have been invented in this book uh, and they don't really resonate with me at all. So, for example, one of the goddesses, like the triple goddesses are Squat, Score and Scram. And Score, for example, is meant to be the goddess of trash picking, flea market finds and thrifting. So you think that I'd be on board with that. But to be honest, I'm not really when i think of trash picking and flea markets all that sort of thing i would use magpie magic for those because that's just sort of what i'm used to uh, and i was really disappointed actually that the magpie was missed out of the urban totems section of this book where it talks about the magic of urban animals i realize this is an american book but i swear you have magpies in america uh be that as it may my issue with the goddesses and gods outlined in this book are that they seem kind of base and ugly and unattractive i don't know if that's because of the artwork that is alongside of them uh, which is kind of cartoony and a bit graffiti like uh, which didn't really appeal to me i didn't like the names they sounded really harsh um, i didn't like what they stood for or the methods given for communing with them they didn't really appeal to me and therefore aren't really something that i believe in but i'll give a little bit of a rundown on them in case it's something that you are interested in so squat is described as a very big goddess uh, and the book says picture her as weighing in at over 300 pounds of warm round abundant billowing flesh her personality is just as warm and merry and abundant as her figure and a good thing too for squat is the goddess of parking spaces 
To invoke her, you have to start early. Before you even get to wherever you're going, start calling on her and telling dirty jokes. She really loves dirty jokes, the worse the better. We're told she especially enjoys nun jokes. If she, if she is amused by your offering, she will squat on a parking space and hold it for you until you arrive, fending off intruders with her considerable divine bulk. Now, there are many spells out there, like little charts and things to ensure you have a parking space. I have a little charm bag in my car, which I made for passing my driving test uh, and for protection and various other things. And you can work magic into that so that you can always find a parking space, which I always can, because I guess either I'm an amazing witch or I don't go to places that other people want to go and therefore can always get parked. The jury's out. Um, I don't see that there is a need for having a goddess specifically devoted to parking spaces. It kind of, she had kind of a narrow appeal to me. I don't really mind that she's described as being fat or overweight or however you want to say it, um, because there are lots of goddesses out there who are, and that is usually just a signifier for abundance and, you know, having enough to live a comfortable life. I don't understand why that is relevant to parking spaces, except maybe that she takes up space. Uh, but there you go. The next one is score. Score, as I said, it is yard sales, flea markets, trash picking, whatever. And the book says she appears at first glance to be a bedraggled bag lady sifting through garbage. But if you bother to draw close to her, you will see her great beauty shining through. And so it is with her gifts. If you tell school what you need, she'll try to provide it for you. It may take a few weeks or months to get someone to throw it out in your path, or it may be a matter of hours, but she'll take care of it. She appreciates being called on. And the more you call on her, the quicker she'll respond. We've had great luck getting what we want from the city's discards after having worked with school for a few years. Score is basically described in the book as the goddess of finding things that you need in the trash and also getting rid of things you don't want. So putting them outside so that score can take them where they need to go, which is a nice idea. I know it's something Vanda's done in the past. My issue, again, is that it's quite narrow. I mean, obviously, there's trash picking, yard sales, thrifting. But what about urban foraging? I, for quite a, a while in Bristol got obsessed with foraging fruit and plants and herbs and things from around the place. I made jam, I made jellies out of apples and things that I found. I even found rosemary, lavender growing, nettles, uh, hawthorn berries, uh, various different kinds of things that were useful to me to make food out of as a nice hobby. And I could give that out to people at work as well because I made quite a lot of it. Um, I feel like that could be part of score. It feels, again, like quite a narrow idea. And then the last goddess on the list is Scram. Uh, she is described as the goddess who tells you when not to be there. Not much is known about Scram, for she comes and goes in quick moments and doesn't leave much except her calling card, which is a strong feeling in the depths of your gut. You know Scram's presence when you get to that almost claustrophobic feeling of needing to leave, that magnet between your shoulder blades yanking you towards the door. Scram is always right. If you don't leave when she calls, disaster will ensue. Of course, not all of your fears and worries are the call of Scram, and it takes practice and attention to separate your own random internal phobias from her prescient awareness. Uh, so basically just the goddess of helping you to avoid bad parts of town and knowing when to get out of certain situations. That is probably the one with the broadest idea behind it. I don't really like the name Scram. Um, it just seems kind of coarse and determinedly modern. Um, but there we go. These are some sort of goddesses and obviously they have meaning for some people some people will like these avatars and I think the whole idea behind them which I wish the book had gone into more is the idea that you can 
uh, personify, deify certain aspects of urban life and leave offerings for them and basically sort of create your own deities. And I wish the book had talked more about that than here are the six that we invented and that we think you should believe in. Now, the urban triple god is, I thought, quite annoying. All of the, the, the goddess things kind of needled me a little bit. They weren't things that I personally believed in. The gods, I think, kind of deify the worst aspects of, like, toxic masculinity. Because, like, the first one is Slick. And he's, like, fast-talking salesman, you know, getting out of things. And his picture is him, like, a guy with a really hairy chest and an Elvis pompadour and a, a diamante belt buckle. And then you've got Screw, who is the god of getting laid. Uh, and he's kind of dressed like a pimp in his picture. And then Sarge, who's like a screaming um, military drill sergeant who's meant to like make you face up to your adult responsibilities, like calling the DMV and the landlord and getting things done. Now, I don't have a problem with the ideas of like motivating yourself or going out looking for sex or being a quick talker and being able to talk your way into and out of any situation you want. My issue is the kind of image of the god behind them these aren't gods that i would really identify with they're kind of creepy dudes who i would actually avoid if i was near them as opposed to sort of other deities who feel more fatherly or more friendly or at the very least worthy of respect so um i didn't really connect with this section section seven is uh, the elements of place in terms of territory and it gives a rundown of basically how the elements work in the environment of a city. So, for example, connecting the idea of an Internet modem to the elements of air and communication, which makes sense to me. Um, again, this is a little bit dictatorial because it kind of tells you here are the things that will work. But it doesn't really say why or why the authors came to believe this. Uh, for example, in the air section, it tells you on page 71 to summon an air elemental, pick up the phone, press the star or asterisk key and sing three notes into the phone, then speak your needs and hang up. But it doesn't say, you know, how the authors came to devise this little ritual. Um, it just says that this is something that you can do as if it is true. And I have kind of an issue with books that state things like that as fact, because what works for one person won't work for another. An interesting section is elemental prevarication. It sort of talks about how the elements interact with each other and how nothing is just and how there are things that are not just air or fire, but how there are things that are air and fire together and what those things look like. So on page 79 and 80, they kind of go into how these crossover works. So, for example, air, it says air of air is wind, fire of air is flammable gas, water of air is mist, earth of air is inert gas. Uh, and then for fire, fire of fire is flame, water of fire is electricity. Earth of fire is chemically created heat. Air of fire is lightning. So you kind of get the idea. Uh, and I really liked that idea in how those like elements work together, because there are some things that for me have always fallen outside of the traditional elemental classifications. And that really helped with that. There's also directions for finding like the spirit of the city, making contact with it. Again, I like the idea of anthropomorphizing the place that you live, giving it a sense of self, of spirit that you can then connect with. Um, that was a really clever idea. Uh, chapter eight is fetishes and it talks about basically making different kinds of magic out of different things that you can find out and about. 
Uh, so you've got air magic, water magic, fire magic, and basically just ideas on how to use things like cigarette butts, ashtrays for fire, um, and for air, just sharp shards of things like broken glass and things like that. So that was kind of an interesting section because it talks about how to make magic out of things you might just find around and about. Then we have a section on travel charms, um, car dragons, which is another thing that didn't really connect with me, but might be interesting for people to uh, get into. Although it does suggest on page 96, to invoke a car dragon, you tuck sticks of burning incense into the front bumper and go for a drive, which seems ill-advised. Then we have chapter 10, sustenance, job finding and keeping. Lots of stuff to do with employment magic. Uh, not a very long chapter that, but still pretty interesting. And then a section on tribal markings, which I thought was quite relevant, um, considering like the urban environment and how a lot of young people tend to live there. So there's a lot of stuff in here about wearable spells for jewellery, uh, piercings, tattoos, um, talking about the magic of black leather and, and how it connects to the idea of death, because obviously leather is from a dead animal. Then like body modification, all that sorts of things. And what I found particularly nice about this is that it gives a nice section on piercing magic about the effect of having different parts of yourself pierced. So for example, on page 129, eyebrow associated with the sun. This is a difficult piercing because it is against the orbital bone and is a surface to surface wound that tends to grow out on some people. You have to be careful not to lay wrong on it or you'll give yourself headaches. However, since it is near the eyes, the brow piercing is used for the magic of seeing clearly. It is especially good for people who tend to be overwhelmed by their feelings and have trouble being objective. This piercing is the bird's eye modification, which can give you the fly, fly high, see far, long term view. It can also be used magically to allow one to see through the eyes of other animals if you hang a charm on it carved into the animal of your choice. So again, sort of presenting things as fact um, with not a huge amount of basis for that. Um, just, I guess, personal belief. But it is quite interesting. And I guess if you're really into piercing, this would be an interesting section of the book for you and then it gives a breakdown of types of body modification jewelry so basically things that you can make um, into body modification jewelry and what those things mean so for example spikes these are solid needles usually tapered at both ends made of various materials such as steel gold plastic or natural materials such as bone bamboo or porcupine quills they can range from an inch to as much as a foot wide they're usually put through the septum because of the middle because the middle of your face is about the only place where you can keep them without interference. So just various different things like that. And then it gives a breakdown of precious and semi-precious stones for piercing jewellery and the effects that those would have, which again is very useful uh, as lots of people would wear like crystals and stuff as earrings or other piercings. So if you could match up where you want a piercing with the appropriate um, kind of piercing, like a barbell or a spike, and then have it made out of the stone of your choice or featuring the stone of your choice, you could be creating some of your own personal magic there. And it also advises on the safety of picking a good place to get pierced and tattooed, which is a good idea. There wasn't much about tattoos in that section, um, about how to choose tattoos and to be wary of what you have put on your body. Um, I've seen in other books people warning about getting just like flash art that features animals or characters that you're not really sure of what the meaning behind them is and what that might do magically if you have it on your body. Uh, that would have been an interesting bit to have in but it's not in that chapter really. 
Uh, chapter 12 is all about pagan children and pagan parenting. I found this kind of a weird section to include um, in just a book about urban paganism. I feel like that could be its own book on its own, but there is an attempt made to cover it. Uh, chapter 13, Intertribal Communication, how, how Not to Start Wars. And I quite liked this section. It has rules of courtesy for one thing. It says, don't mess with someone else's ritual space. And then most importantly, you are not the occult police. It says on page 153, sometimes a pagan or occult group in the fervour of their new beliefs, and this usually happens to people who are newly come to magic, decide that they are the occult police and they go out of their way to stop magical wrongdoings wherever they think they see it, whether it's the upside down pentagram spray painted under an underpass by all the broken beer bottles or a few scattered animal bones in an outlying wasteland that eagerly smudge and chant their way to righteously erase all traces of such evil energy from the pristine earth. Don't do this. This is not your job. Those bones might be the remains of someone's beloved pet or a roadkill that just wants to be left in peace. And wouldn't you just feel silly if the cops stopped and asked you what you were doing, chanting and burning funny smelling stuff in that space while underage drinkers were partying the night before? So I kind of agree with this. I haven't seen any evidence of people just like finding graffitied pentagrams and being like, oh no, it's evil. Um, but sometimes people do tend to judge your practices of what you're doing and say oh no that looks evil and disturbing particularly if it features any kind of animal part like a bone or a skull or a black candle oh no not on this love and life instagram page i do think that you need to confront if you find a group that is practicing actual criminal practices but the difference between actual crime in the mundane world um and what people are doing magically speaking that's really up to them uh, so yeah you, you don't need to go around being the occult police and then also on page 154 don't assume you're cursed you have no idea like if you are active at all on any kind of online pagan community you will see dozens and dozens and dozens of posts of people being like i've been cursed what can i do and usually what they mean is mildly bad things are happening in my life. Someone is obviously causing this as opposed to being like, have I done anything that could be causing these things to happen? Uh, so what this says on page 155 is the upshot of all this is when something bad happens to you, the last thing you should assume is that someone is out there trying to curse you. First of all, if you've done the things you should with regards to the chance with regards to the chapters on defense and purification, it will not be easy to curse you anyway. Second, you're not that important. Look to your own life and choices first. If worse comes to worst, it may be just a bad bump in your road. We all have those and some are worse than others. It's okay to do spells to help you get through a hard time, but trying but try everything else before you fixate on deliberately inflicted curses from outside. Which is amazing, and I wish I could copy-paste that and just respond to every single post, because people seem to think that they are important enough that multiple witches or demons or other magical presences are deliberately out to get them. And it's like, why would you think that? One, what have you done <laughs> if you think that someone is that mad at you? And two you are probably not that important sorry just people like to think they're important enough to have someone curse them and very few people are unless you're the president or something then there's a chapter specifically about the underground meaning subways sewers that kind of thing as being a literal or figurative place to contact deities of the underworld or to release uh, negativity that sort of thing and to confront your own darkness uh, to do with you know the underground 
again not really something that appealed to me but might appeal to certain other people and I did find it refreshingly down to earth in the way that it said you know there are people who shy away from all discussion of darkness and then there are people who languish in it and make it their entire practice their entire personality and neither way is incredibly balanced or helpful chapter 15 is all about ghosts and ghosts in the in the urban setting of obviously high population density means a lot more deaths there's usually hospitals and things in big cities uh care homes that sort of thing so you have the higher potential for sick and dying people to be there um, and obviously a lot more spirits will be around um, one of the things I did quite like about this section is that it talks about contacting spirits and how there's never really a reason to do this and to, you know, bother them. They also give a little bit of warning about the use of Ouija boards and they talk about, you know, how it's not really right to go messing around with dead people just for a laugh, really, to um, prove that you're powerful or to prove something to yourself. And they do talk about ghost hauntings, sightings, things like that. Um, whether or not you believe in ghosts at all or in the same way that they're put forward in this book is something else but um there is some information in here another thing similar to the thing that you see online of everyone thinking they're cursed everyone thinks that they are an empath and also everyone thinks that they see ghosts or that their house is haunted um or they can't go anywhere without saying oh i can see ghosts in here or i can feel spirits in here one those people are annoying to be around please don't be one of those people uh two it's probably not incredibly likely that those people are telling the truth. So they're either delusional or they are trying to con you or they are trying to bring you into their fantasy world, which makes them feel more important than they actually are. This book does a nice job of handling the fact that genuine hauntings and actual ghost sightings are not that common uh, and kind of bringing, I guess, some of those claims made by other people that you see around down to earth, which uh, I think is quite useful and it gives a little bit of information about how to get rid of troubling spirits or haunts which it describes as not the process of a ghost like living in your house but as that being a kind of echo of a previous event as distinct from an actual spirit which is a ghost then we have chapter 16 spirit in the wires which is magic over the modem and to do with like online things rituals conducted in cyberspace uh, internet magic that sort of thing and a few online resources um, which I don't know if they're still active because this book came out in 2002 so quite a lot of the information to do with the internet is a little bit dated and to do with dial-up but some of it I think still does hold true and it's kind of an interesting concept because we talk about like the astral plane and things like that but the internet is kind of its own astral plane because um, it's a plane that we all visit via various means and that we have portals to in our houses, um, portals through which negative energy can reach us and through which we can send out energy of our own. So that's kind of an interesting section. Again, I think one probably worthy of its own book because it's a another brief chapter. Then migration, which is all to do with like moving, moving out, finding a home, feng shui that sort of thing a bit to do with ley lines just general kind of um starter sections on some of these topics it's not hugely in depth but slightly interesting and then chapter 18 which is urban totems sort of like the goddess section i didn't really gel with this section whether it's because it was sort of american in the fact that it talks about cockroaches and things like that also because it missed out the magpie which i was just not having uh, but it does deal with like mice raccoons 
robin starlings squirrels cats um what annoyed me about this is that it's not in alphabetical order which seemed like a strange choice because if you want to look up a specific animal then it would help to have it in you know alphabetical order but now you've got like cat then pigeon crow oh crow is in here moth and you know they're just not in a good order and then you have the same kind of cartoony sketchy art which didn't really appeal to me that much but there we go uh, so i think there's some quite interesting ideas in there about the different urban totems uh, and again that's quite a big section um, which might be useful to you if you want to work with you know the animals of the city then we have native flora the urban herbal chapter 19 uh, again this was kind of american focused uh, and not you know featuring some of the plants that i would class as like an urban plant um this one thankfully is in alphabetical order which makes it easier to look but it talks about like bindweed burdocks um fruit trees crabgrass clover clover and things obviously they're things that you'll find in england like chickweed um and things like that but it doesn't include nettles which are like the most common thing that you can find literally anywhere uh so that kind of annoyed me a little bit and also it can also it lists like their colloquial names and not providing much information about how to identify them or what they look like um so that's uh, not as useful i think as it could have been and then at the end we have the suggested reading section which gives a lot of different kinds of books to read about uh, there is in fact one suggested about um Siberia, Life in the Trenches of Cyberspace, although that did come out in 1995. So the, the further reading list, probably not up to date on all the books that are out there. Uh, so that's Urban Primitive. Now, there are some interesting ideas in that book that I quite like. And then there are other ideas that I didn't gel with at all. And some ideas, few and far between, that I did find a little bit objectionable. Um, but I think overall it's a book that has something for everyone. It's a good introduction to the idea of being able to work magic in a city. Not a lot of books focus on that. So if you're looking for a book specifically about city living, specifically in America, although some of it can be parsed into British cities or cities in other countries, you could do worse. It's quite an old book now, it came out in 2002, so there might be more up-to-date books out there that you can find feel free to recommend those to me because it's a subject that I am actually quite interested in. Uh, but yeah, tentatively recommend, although as I've said, there is some controversy surrounding Raven Cordera. I haven't found a lot of like, or any first-hand accounts of people saying this is something that I found to be objectionable. It's mainly people getting at them and I'm not really sure if people just have it out for him for different reasons, but do your own research on that but as far as this book goes it is quite a good book and i would probably recommend it just for the chapters on spellcraft work and energy use because those are quite down to earth and easy to follow if you have any other recommendations to do with urban magic or city magic in general do send them over to twitter or via email and in the meantime i will see you in the next one bye